You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to another edition of Fight in Progress. That is Under the Shield Presents. Let's get this right, I know. I can say whatever the hell I want to say, people. Y'all need to just leave me alone. <laughs> this is one of your hosts, Susan Simmons, I think. Is that who I am today, Joel? It is, yes. I, I thought you sent me a text and said your name Remember, is Susan. Remember, exactly. Yep. Yep. Don't forget to feed the bird and the dog. Yeah, yes, your bald eagle. Yeah, I definitely have a bald eagle. Absolutely. All American here. <laughs> <laughs> and I sing the national anthem every morning. That I think that's going to get you on a list somewhere. <laughs> that's my new goal. We'll talk about that on another podcast. But anyway, Tom, are you here today? I am here today. He is here today. Yep. Who are you today? Um, Tom again. Yeah. <sighs> you know, <laughs> Joel, our producer, is in a mood today. Yes. Apparently, he's playing with the buttons over there. And uh, I'm just not sure if he's been drinking or smoking or what he's been doing. But... I'm getting ready for the comedy show. Oh, that's right. We have our, yes, that's tonight. It's yeah. Well, fun. it already happened. It was a great time. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was it was wonderful. Was <laughs> that was a few weeks ago, Joel. Yeah. yeah. Where are you at? <laughs> you're just now getting ready for it. Boy, you're a little late there, young one. Talk about procrastination. <laughs> you need adult supervision. <laughs> yeah. And we thought you were our adult supervision. Yeah. That, therein lies Slipping. the problem. Yes, absolutely. But finished my, um, what number is this? 16th radiation today in my glow. Yet, Joel, do I have that lovely glow? You are glowing, <laughs> and it's not like a highlighter color, so I think that's good. I should start to levitate. <laughs> Four more to go, and then that part of my life is off. Four more? That's it, huh? Wow, congratulations! That's it. There have been 20 total times. I know, but I'm just saying we're done with that. Well. I'm done. I don't know what the doctor's plan <laughs> I've already uh, told them there. I won't be back. I, this is it. You better give me what you got because I ain't coming back. I don't blame and you. And they laugh and they're like, yeah, I don't think we want you to come back. <laughs> I've wreaked havoc. But we have a really interesting show because she's our second time around. Look, we even get repeat offenders here right. on Fighting Progress. <laughs> we are so proud. And I am proud to call her my friend. I think, you, I think you're a sister from another mister, to be honest. Uh, there's no doubt. I think we're related. But we have Sonia Hightower Labasco. I got him in the right order. You did. <laughs> See, chemo brain, nothing. I ain't got yeah, no that, damn chemo. That was good. Brain. That was good. Or dementia either. That's for my child. But <laughs> And Joelle, who thinks I have it. But um, Sonia, we're so excited to have you in studio, too. This is better than Zoom. Yes, it, it is. It is so much better. And I'm I'm so thankful for being here, Susan and, and Tom and Joelle. Thanks for having me back. I Absolutely. Mean, you know, for me to get a repeat you know, session. It's like, dang, I, I like this. I'm telling you. And, <laughs> good. and you get to come in. Oh, in a beautiful office. And stayed I mean, with me it, last it, night and my crazy dog and loved it. 
I, I thought I was at the White House, like I said. I mean, I, I, oh, because of the bald eagle. <laughs> Accommodations are, uh, you know, six star. And the bagpipes and the national anthem and raising the flag in the front yard every morning. <laughs> yeah, she, she. I forgot to tell her that. We have to wake up at sunrise so we can <laughs> and do the Pledge of Allegiance in the front yard with the bald eagle, Joelle. That's it. Absolutely. That's what that whole pot of coffee was for. <laughs> yeah, she hyped me up already for a whole pot of coffee this morning. I feel like I'm back on patrol. I'm ready to go out there and start writing some tickets and doing something. That's it. And Sonia's here this time to talk about something a little. You know, I'm, I have to tell you, I have a bone to pick with you, though. I'm a little disappointed you didn't break the big whistleblowing story on our podcast the first time around. But I'm hoping you're going to tell me it's because you didn't know about it. Um, no, I didn't know about it. You did yep. or didn't? I did not. Okay. Now I you're did cleared. not know about it. So I get some grace there, right? Joelle wants to push the bullshit button. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you going to do me that way? Unbelievable, Joelle. I, where's the bagpipes? <laughs> we might need them before this, uh, this is over. I see. I see. Comedians. We yes. already got comedians here. We do. Absolutely. That's why we have so much fun here. <laughs> so tell us, uh, give us the background again for those who might have missed your first podcast. And if you did, go back and listen to it. Joelle, will you put a link? Yeah. in there for them to hear the first one yes okay I will. good and uh yeah so tell us all about you and the big news you have going on because this is exciting stuff well my name is sonia hightower labosco uh i'm a retired supervisory federal air marshal previously was daytona beach uh, midnight shift sergeant i've been in law enforcement for a very very long time she's still not as old as me so <laughs> y'all don't I'm get all old. excited i'm pretty i'm glad this is you know i've got a face for radio so i'm glad i'm on a <laughs> podcast this morning not a camera um but currently i'm the executive director of the air marshal national council when i retired from the air marshals in 2014 i saw a need to build a legal coverage plan for our, our federal air marshals mm -hmm. uh, they didn't have a lot of coverage when it came to being injured on the job um you know on duty or off duty critical incidents uh, internal policies and grievances they may have, and their voices just weren't being heard. So we built the legal plan with the Air Marshal National Council, and I'm really, I'm really proud of the work that we have done. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I wasn't expecting, though, when we built this legal plan was the fact of all the information that comes forward toward uh, myself and our, our other board members in regards to the absolute wrongdoing that's going on within the federal government right now with the air marshals. We, we, I know we, we're all shocked in this room that there's what? wrongdoing. I mean, we were just, we started to, be, to become inundated with, uh, you know, in all 20 field offices, we have 20 field offices across the nation. And we had whistleblowers that started coming forward. You know, you build that trust, you build that relationship. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like people were calling us saying, hey, my performance appraisal is not good. I want to grieve it. We had actual people calling and saying, hey, these are the things that we're doing on mission status. This is not appropriate. Sure. We're violating people's rights. There's no there's no process or due process happening, no probable cause. And it really has been shocking in the last two years what we've discovered that's going on internally within wow. the air marshals. And, and I have to ask you, too, how are you feeling about two Southern women in here? This is the most <laughs> Southern we've had in here together. That's right. Y'all. Y'all go together like biscuits and gravy. <laughs> oh, bless your little heart. <laughs> I couldn't believe one of you didn't say that while she was talking. I had to beat you to it. <laughs> I feel like I'm back home. She's I'm just from her. the next state over from Mississippi, y'all. If I close my eyes, I won't know who's talking. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I like that. I take that as a compliment. Absolutely. So imagine that no due process in our system. Isn't that amazing? When did we get rid of that? 
did well, that go away somewhere and I slept through it or <laughs> chemo brain chemo. through it or something? It is. I mean, it, it's really, it really is unbelievable. Uh, when we first started off with the air marshals, we were at the FAA. After, you know, after uh, pre-9-11, there were only 33 air marshals and they deployed international missions. And when did they start? When did that 1961. Even- Really? JFK was the first president that started the Federal Air Marshal Service in 1961. Uh, They were trained by CBP and assigned as civil aviation specialists with the FAA. Uh, You know, that was back during the hijackings in the 60s and then the 70s, the hijackings, you know, they were up there. And what happens with the air marshals, it seems like they've never we've never had a permanent home. We'll go from CBP (laughs) to the FAA back to CBP. Um, And that's some of the, the, the pains that we're experiencing now. Sure. Post 9-11, we hired thousands. So there were only 33 that deployed internationally. Wow. And what we found out after 9-11, unfortunately, was that the uh, terrorists were targeting domestic missions, which is something that we didn't fly on. Yeah. Sure. So we changed our entire concept of operations after 9-11 and hired thousands of air marshals and deployed them internationally and domestic on domestic missions. And around 2005, DHS Secretary uh, Michael Chertoff thought it would be a good idea to transfer us out of ICE, uh, a law enforcement entity, into the Transportation Security Administration, which is a is a, an administrative agency. They have no law enforcement background. That's a good plan. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's been a nightmare. It's the worst decision that you could ever make for national security when you're trying to get your law enforcement force out there to make sure mm-hmm. that we prevent another 9-11. But he transferred us over to TSA, and so we've been kind of stuck in this um, administrative wheel, this cog of the wheel, uh, you know, under 65,000 bureaucratic folks. Well, I had a really good idea that y'all really should have called me about because I could have said, tell me what is it? But I thought after 9-11 with all the bankruptcies of the airlines that the pilots that were furloughed, a lot of them are military people. They should have been hired because who wouldn't, who better know the intricacies of the plane, have an extra pilot on board. Teach them. I mean, we've got the federal flight deck officers. They get a whole week of training at Artesia, <laughs> one whole week. Woohoo, baby, that's a good plan. Um, but I really felt like that those pilots that had been furloughed would have been the perfect ones to have hired for FAMS. They would, they would have been. But you know, they had a, they had the age. You know, they, it, you got to be thirty-seven to you know enter into federal service. But they did extend that to forty. So oh, they, they did. They did make an age waiver for forty years old. Because we needed... You, right. They needed a lot of marshals. Right. They need, well, you needed somebody who had a Rolodex, right? You needed right. experience. Sure. To be able to deploy on an aircraft with a, with, with a, with a firearm yeah. and work at a team, 35,000 feet, you can't do that coming straight out of college. Because yeah. right? I have you, to you tell have you. have some experience there. To be honest, some of them I know that you hired that had been state and local had these grandiose visions <laughs> of all these hot flight attendants, <laughs> and it was going to be a lot of fun trips. They Miss the part where you get long layovers and stuck out on tarmacs for hours and all of that kind of... They missed that point. They thought this was going to be a real dating service in the air (laughs) and get paid to do it. And eat three pounds of peanuts a day. Yeah, absolutely. You know what you feel like after you eat like 10 bags of peanuts because you have nothing else to eat? Are they boiled? They they are not. They're dry. Southerners, we would have preferred them boiled. If I had some Coke, I could have dropped some peanuts in my Coke. Absolutely. I could have boiled peanuts too. Yes, absolutely. See, we're going to educate you boys. This is not going to be just a lesson and that is going to be a lesson in Southern things as well. I am a professional peanut eater now. Because I mean, yeah, Southwest has taught me well. I've got a lot of skills. We're fixing to educate you boys. 
That's why I got the door blocked here in the, in the podcast. Ain't hey, nobody going anywhere until we teach you what we want to teach. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of people going to listen to this and go, oh, my God, they had no idea all this stuff was going on. It, it, you know, it's been eye-opening for me because being in law enforcement since I was 23 years old, um, we've always been taught to be nonpartisan. You know, when we go to a call or you go for a 911 call for service, you don't know if that person's a Republican or a Democrat. You just know there's somebody in your community that needed help. And they called mm-hmm. they called your system and you show up and you provide their help. Sure. You don't you don't pick and choose who you service as a law enforcement officer. You do your job and you go out there and you do it the right way. Mm-hmm. In the last two years, though, I've seen that pendulum swing now. To where it's nothing but a political agenda within the federal air marshal service. Period. That well, the can say FBI that 100%. too. And and not necessarily at the a. I mean, at the agent level, but with the FBI, it's all political. Senior leaders. Yeah. Absolutely. They they are taking. They they've bitten that apple. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It is to move up in the mm-hmm. get more promotions. It's to get per, pay for performance bonuses. It's to get anything that they can get. They're going to go along with what the swamp wants and what upper echelon wants sure. because that's how they get more money that they, they create metrics for no reason. Yeah. And then they get more money from Congress. And to be sad, we're even seeing it at the local level of chiefs because again, when the feds set the standard of stuff, then these locals will also go, Hey, works for us too then. And it's destroying police departments. And I think if you, when you bite that political apple and you bite that political agenda, I think you should be barred from service. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think if you, it's no different from taking a bribe. Yeah. It's no different from doing something that that is, you know, uh, your integrity has been put into question. Yeah. Why don't but, they get put on the Brady list? Yeah. I I'm mean, this really, close to calling names on here. One day I'm just gonna start <laughs> spewing off these chiefs' names and assistant chiefs and people. Y'all just hang on, come back because it'll happen. I mean, it, and really, once your integrity's been tarnished, you can't get it back. Right. Well, they don't allow officers and people under them, like he, Tom said, the Brady list. You why get not? stuck on that thing. Well, how come we don't have? senior people on that list that should be on that list. And and it and it's true and they're unaccountable. I mean they'll walk around and they'll make they'll make these decisions and they'll hobnob and they'll go to the best parties and they'll sure hang out with the you know all the political upper echelon. Well they have dirt on each other and mm-hmm. and again then they just cover each other's butts and screw everybody below them. And and you know and I hope that those folks are exposed. I know we're we're exposing them in the Federal Air Marshal Service. Our director Terrell Stevenson is an absolute walking nightmare. Um, you couldn't you you couldn't have gotten a worse director for the Federal Air Marshal Service than that individual See is why now. I love her. Um, <laughs> you know, and I don't mind calling the names because I've got the dirt. I can prove it. I know what he's not doing for our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think about the two thousand nine hundred seventy seven people that were murdered at nine eleven. Yep. And I think about Terrell Stevenson, who's using this political pendulum to you know pad his pockets and further pad his himself. Career. It yeah. makes me sick at my stomach, yeah. and I want that guy out. Sure. And that he is a Biden appointee. He he well he was promoted within the Federal Air Marshal Service, but he is he is on that side of an appointee that they know that they can manipulate mm-hmm. and get what they want from him. Sure, uh, he will utilize the workforce for their political agenda within TSA with no questions asked. I mean, he has no standalone character. You know, when you don't have any standalone character, no matter you may be mm-hmm. asked to do something, but you can say, "Yeah, I'm not comfortable with that." Mm-hmm. I, you know, you don't have to make a big deal. You can just say, now nah, I'm not going to do that. You can say no. Right. But when you get to somebody that doesn't have any character, they're going to do whatever they, they're told to do. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're ahead. being promoted. And right. again, we're seeing the same thing at the at the local level. 
And it's it's pathetic that these people, you know, we used to talk about how dirty politicians were back in the 70s and 80s. They look like a bunch of <laughs> Susie Sunshines and unicorns right now compared to what we got it's like going on It's like lemonade and cookies back yes. then. I'm like, what? Those weren't such bad days as you look at what's Not at going all. on now. Yeah. And I mean, you know, somebody asked whether they said, what is it going to take to straighten this out? It's going to take a hell of a lot of people getting fired. Yes. That's what it's going to take. Yes. We're going to have to make a, a, a huge sweep across this country Yes, for folks that bit that political apple and then use the influence within their offices to change the outcome for law enforcement. Those people need to be fired. And, you know, that was really my chief complaint when Trump went in. He was going to drain the swamp. He didn't clean house enough. And and I understood some of his logic in the beginning about it. But the reality is he should have just gone in and literally just been booting people out. And, and you can see that toxicity that they've mm-hmm. spread and they've mm-hmm. been allowed to spread it. Sure. And then here we are the next four years we're going through it. And then now look what's happening. <sighs> I mean, it's, it's almost to the point that it's completely rogue. There's, yeah. there's no line anymore. And so when did when did you decide to be that whistleblower? Because I want to be just like her when I grow up. I, well, that, Joelle, that's my other title. I want I want whistleblower and domestic terrorist. Okay, so make note of those. Well, things you're in for the right me. company, lady. I can't Let me wait. Just tell you. By, yeah. by, by How long night. before you get on that list? Uh, yeah. I, well, I'm sure I'm already there. Before I put her on a plane Sunday night, I want at least one of those two. So. Well, next time if I have to drive out, you know that you know I'm not even allowed to get on a plane. So, but I have a car. I don't mind. I can travel. <laughs> So I look at myself in two different ways. I, I was always an internal whistleblower since 2009. When mm-hmm. I first came into the agency, um, you know, I thought I was coming from a local police department into this high-speed, high-drag, Federal <laughs> Air Marshal Service, you know, going to get the bad guys, going to be deployed. Yeah. And then when um, the first week out of the academy in August of 2002, I was sitting in the field office, and we're close to the airport in Orlando. So I could hear the airplanes flying over outside and I'm sitting in this beautiful office and I'm going, I'm supposed to be why there. am I sitting in here? <laughs> I can hear the airplanes flying over. I'm right by the airport. So I go to my boss and I said, hey, when when are we going to be doing that job? Here's like, an when idea. Are we be, when are we going to be flying? And he's like, Hightower, <laughs> you need to recognize you're not at Daytona Beach anymore. You weren't flying then either, were you? <laughs> no. He's like, you'll fly when I give you a schedule to fly. Wow. Three weeks, I sat in that office and I watched aircraft deploy without air marshals on it. And I'm sitting there in the office trying to go do the job. Right then and there, I said, did I make a mistake coming over here? (laughs) Um, Because I really wanted to do something to protect my country from being attacked again and sitting in an office nine to five, Monday through Friday. And then the government thought that was heavy lifting, though. This is where I had to really try to adjust myself because you know when you're out on the street and you're going call to call you got the radio you're humping it you know you're you're accountable you're accountable to the people that need you right. crimes are happening you got to sure. get up and get moving but you get over to the government it's like you got to fill up you got forms. that cricket sound can you play that cricket sound <laughs> yeah but you got to fill like. out the forms to fill out the forms to have meetings about meetings in order to have a meeting about doing that. <laughs> all, all day, every day. Yes. And there's nothing that ever comes out of those meetings. No. Yeah. Uh, Except so, more meetings somewhere yeah. in the future. Was it just the government being so slow moving or was it more to it that you specifically weren't allowed to go up? Yeah. Or how many like, women? Was it discrimination? Yeah. It, well, in order to build a flight schedule for me and my partners, that would take work. 
and my supervisor didn't want to work. Oh. So he didn't want to have to go to the computer and put our names in and then Jeez. get a manifest to put us out on the flight schedules. Well, I can understand. So <laughs> what I found in the government, which was really shocking to me, um, after being in Daytona, you know, we didn't have a lot of resources. We used every every officer we could, every part-time officer. Sure. You know, we got a lot of gigs, race week, bike week, spring break. We needed every, you know, all hands oh, yeah. on deck. But then coming to the government, what I realized is they don't like people that want to create work. Right. They will let you mm -hmm. know when they want you to work. And until you're asked to work, you need to just be quiet and not not ask about work. Because if you create work for your supervisor, you're not going to be liked. But was it also being a female? And how many females were in the, in the air marshals at that point? At that point, there were three of us. Out of how many? Uh, about 200. So do you office. think you're being a female had something to do with his attitude? You towards know, you? I, I can't say that I think it was. Okay. I don't think it was because I was a female. I think it's because I went and asked him he didn't want to work. that I wanted to go do my job. Right. He just didn't want to work. And he basically told me I needed to get in line with the government way. Um, it wasn't, it oh, wasn't going to be work quick. out well for him. See, I don't think. I, yeah. The government way is kind of like the military. Hurry up and wait. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. <laughs> but you just, it's a lot of pretend though. I didn't like yeah. it. It was a lot of pretend, you know, that sure. we've got these high speed groups. We're out there, we're deploying. And in reality, we're sitting in an office somewhere. We're sitting at the airport. Flight schedules weren't being built the right way. Uh, we weren't being deployed based on intelligence. We weren't working with, you know, the FBI or Joint Terrorism Task Force to follow people that we should have been following. Yeah, which seems crazy. And sadly, the public was under the impression that there was a federal air marshal right. or two on every plane in this country. Yeah. A lot of false security, honestly and truthfully. And, you know, it, it caused a lot of, what can I say, stress. Mm -hmm. um, you know, me sitting in the office and you see something on the on TV where something where there's an in-flight incident or there's some type of violent thing that's happened on board, and sure. you're just sitting there on the ground praying that that plane lands safely, sure. knowing you could have been there right. and you could have prevented everything that had happened to the to the people on the plane that had to take action and sure. maybe had to wrestle this person down. Wasn't this the same year that you did have the shooting in South Florida? 2005. 2005, okay. Yeah. and that... So there's a lot of guilt there. On my part, there was, because I'm like, I am a resource. We've got a whole you know, office full of air marshals sitting here, but we're allowing the American public to go out and travel, mothers, children, you know, Boy Scout groups, cheerleader groups are going to yeah, across the nation. Sure. And they're unguarded. Wait, sure. so this is what it looked like in 2005? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Four years after 9-11. <laughs> and really, was it very different? You came on what year? 2002. So. Wow. 2002, you're asking to go do something. Yeah, I sat and, in the office for a week, and I'm like, <laughs> this is not okay. I hear the planes flying over yeah. the... Wow. And, and I know there's no air marshals on board because it's our airport. We would be on board. Sure. So I'm hearing the planes, and I'm like, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Like, I'm getting paid to sit into an office, and I'm off on the weekends. I'm not. I'm working a 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. It just didn't, you know, it didn't feel right in my gut. I didn't feel good about it. Especially yeah. this soon after 9-11. We're not even talking pre or... Ten years after. Oh no, it was just just months after, wow. basically, really. That's crazy. And, and I left a career that I loved. I loved Daytona. I was planning, sure. on, you know, retiring from there. I wasn't leaving a, a spot, 
going to another spot. I, I had a good career at Daytona. They get to drive on the beach in Daytona Beach. If you didn't know that, Joel, I thought I'd educate you on that, honey. Yeah. They get to drive on fast on the beach. Horses, too. We had a Absolutely. Mana Patrol. We got to ride horses on the beach. Yeah. Cool Spring stuff. break, MTV, man. The videos were amazing. It's Baywatch all over. I thought I recognized you. <laughs> I wasn't even going to go there, but since you brought it up, you know, I'll give you my autograph later. That's right. She was a star of Baywatch and Daytona Beach. Sonia does Daytona Beach. <laughs> Some great times. So, you know, I was coming off of leaving a 12-year career at Daytona. You know, only had eight more years to go to retire. If I looked at it from me, coming over to the air marshals was not a good move. Sure. Right. But because what I witnessed the morning of 9-11 on my TV sure. with the planes hitting the towers, you know, something changed inside of me. And I said, listen, this can't happen again. Mm -hmm. we, we have to stand up. We have to get together in this country and we have to make sure if anybody tries to do that again, they're going down. Sure. That's how we got a lot of our military. My son became a Marine. He was 10 years old and he never wavered. And that's how we got him as a Marine. So, you know, I came to the air marshals to do the job. I didn't come to the air marshals to pretend yeah. sit and drink coffee. I was doing the job. Sure. I wanted to be out there every day, all day, doing doing what we needed to do to make sure it never happened again. Did that ever happen? Not really. Mm. I mean, it. our schedules did increase. I mean, there was a point where they had their mission operations center. You know, the government will make a million excuses why they can't. And spend a lot of money to make the excuses. Uh, we are a billion dollars a year, our budget for the air marshals. 20 field offices, a billion dollars a year. I know what we could do with that billion dollars. There's a lot of good stuff. And we're still not intelligence based to this day. You know, we don't, we, we, we roll the dice. Every time we fly, it's just a plethora. Uh, it's just like, you know, uh, throwing something up on the dartboard and said, hey, let's take American Flight 7716. Oh, let's go on Southwest 2405. Well, I know we don't do out anything of, out of an intelligence-based, strategic-based sure. deployment. Well, I know there was a time coming out of D.C. if there was a federal agent, DEA, FBI, ATF, U.S. Marshal, on a flight, they'd pull a fam off of it because that person's already, already armed, armed. And you go, yeah. he he's not exactly trained or she for the same mission y'all would be, mm -mm. but we would rely on that as a resource. Yeah, I mean, I guess that could be at, at the bare bones, the last backup, but I wouldn't pull a FAM team off no, of right. a flight because there was another law enforcement. I would, you know, brief them and get together yeah. and say, if anything happens, yeah. watch our back, I, yeah. but let us go forward first. Exactly. Yeah, If we get in trouble, then, you know, hey, we stand up and deploy. We, Absolutely. we need you. Sure. Yeah, It. It. but when has the federal government ever made good common sense? This is my first experience in the government, you know, in 02 when I came over. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, I'm not impressed. No. I'm not impressed. I'm not I'm not impressed at all in any group I've ever worked with, any other federal agency. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not. I, I do not know how we get things done in this country mm -hmm. uh, on a daily basis, because what I have seen is if you come to the government, you're really not expected to do much. Right. You can no. come in, do a 20 year career and get in and out. If you're trying to be a progressive and you want to really make change and you want to do what you're supposed to be doing, for, by the way, paid a really nice salary. Yeah, I'm with talking, good benefits. I'm talking six-figure salary, Yeah, right? Daytona, yeah. I, I was making less than half that Sure, and producing, you know, 110% of work every day. Sure. And it just, to me, it was complete, it's completely backward. So when when was the first time you really were labeled a whistleblower? Uh, 2009. Uh -huh. In 2009, there was a lot of wrongdoing going on within uh, my field office. There was a lot of uh, time card fraud, a lot of uh, guys that wouldn't show up for work, supervisors that weren't coming to work. You wouldn't see them for a week. 
And I mean, you know, they're making, you know, at that point, they're making about 140,000 a year and barely coming to work. And, but what was happening though, because of them not being there, you know, it it had a domino effect for everything Mm -hmm. else in the field office. Sure. You had air marshals that are deployed on international missions that couldn't get home. They had no, no, nobody working for them to try to get them back home. Um, situations that would arise there and they were nowhere to be found. Wow. And then some of the days when they did come to work, I, I used to call it, you remember when Lance Armstrong and, you know, the Tour de France was a big thing. Oh yeah. Right. I used to call it the Tour de Fam because we had about seven supervisors that would ride their bikes. They had those, you know, those really expensive bikes <laughs> with the clip on shoes. They looked like little ducks walking through the office with their slinglets on or whatever you call those little suits on. <laughs> and they would go out for two, three hour bike rides. And I'm like, if we just look for a bad guy just one day, I'm thinking, can we just can, just can, we, can we just look for a bad guy one right. day? Let can me we use these cuffs one time? <laughs> can we do everything but the avoidance of work? I just saw nothing but the avoidance of real work. And that was really a big turnoff for me. So who did you blow the whistle on and to? Well, I blew the whistle first on um, uh, one of my supervisors, Chas Cook, within the field office, Orlando field office. Um, really a narcissistic guy, got a lot of mental, mental health issues. And I blew the whistle on him. I said, look, this is not appropriate. His behavior is erratic in the office. He's doing some things that are kind of concerning with somebody having a firearm on, uh, may not be the best job for him to be in. So in 09, I started, I did it the proper way because at first I call myself, I was an internal whistleblower. And then here in the last couple of years, I've had to become an external whistleblower. Yep. Because you're taught that Internally, you've got the ombudsman. You know, you've got the processes that you use internally. But me never using a process or having to, you know, blow the whistle, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize all those processes set up internally was just to gather information from you to later on use it against Against you. you. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, you know, I was was picking up the crumbs. You know, I was like Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, there's a crumb there. Let me go to the (laughs) ombudsman. Oh, we got the EEOC. Oh, wait a minute. We can go. We can go to the internal. Oh, I can follow an appeal. I can go to the director's, you know, anonymous box. I can set up a meeting with the director. Sure. So I tried for years. So Tom, when I start blowing a whistle on somebody, I'm going to do it through you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Just making sure you're okay with that. Tom Hobble said. (laughs) So, you know, you just go through the procedures that that they're set up and said that they're there for you. But then at the end, you know, it takes three to five years. And then you realize, like, especially in the government, it takes three to five. That's quick. And then you realize, oh my goodness, what they're not going to do the right thing. Yeah. Yep, they're not going to take accountability. But they're boy, not going to hold these people accountable. But boy, won't they make things happen fast when they're after somebody? They will. Yeah, but, and if, if they decide subject. to turn on the whistleblower, mm-hmm. hang on. Yeah. Oh yeah, we we went on more than one or two rides together, me and uh, some of the the folks in the Orlando field office in regards to whistleblowing. Um, wow. Yeah, because they turned that tip of the spear back at mm-hmm. me, uh, and, oh, and, in, sure. and in the end, it was a battle. I have to tell you, every day walking in that office was a battle. Yeah, but they picked the wrong bear to poke. They did because I'm just I just have an American spirit, right? Uh-huh. I'm just I'm just a try to be humble. I try to be a good person in my community. I try to be a good neighbor. I'm not looking for a fight. But I'm not you don't care for it when you know you're right. No, either. and I was right. Uh huh. I was right. I That's was, what we were talking was, about this morning. Yeah. She doesn't. She doesn't back down was, from a fight. I was right. Mm-hmm. I mean, to see the the abuse of resources, the way we, I was watching them, and to watch what the American people were, you know, paying a billion dollars a year for a service, sure. they were receiving nothing for it. Sure. And it just wasn't appropriate to me, and it's not appropriate to this day. I still see some of the same things happening within that agency. 
when I was still there. Well, sadly, there are too many in law enforcement. We've talked about this, who will just walk away. They go, I'm tired. I don't want to take on the fight. Right. And they walk away. It's not worth it. Yeah, but but that's not you. You know, I and a lot of people ask me that still to this day. Why are you doing this? You're retired. You've been out since 2014. You need to, to live your life. And I said, in order for me to live my life, mm-hmm. I have to make sure that this agency is removed sure. from the TSA. We have to be removed from this administrative agency that does not give one iota uh-huh. about what happened at 9-11. Where do you think they need to be? We've got to be with another law enforcement mm-hmm. entity. So like I under mean, the DOJ in that regard? You know, and but everywhere you go is screwed up right sure. now. Like, <laughs> yeah. where do you go? Yeah. Like, what, what home do you land at? Yeah. DOJ, DHS? I mean, we just, I think Homeland Security investigations would probably be one of the safest at the moment. Mm-hmm. For us to go to sure. uh, because they're a law enforcement entity and they do a lot of uh, terrorism related investigations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have international locations that, that they have offices stationed in and they are in all 20 field offices that we're in currently. We could close all the 20 field offices sure. within the FAM service and just mirror in with HSI sure. and save, um, you know. I think the last proposal we put forward to Congress, we would save $500 million if they would listen to our plan Jeez. and our, our, our budget that we put together to show them how we could sh- we could save, you know, a half a billion dollars and be a lean, mean fighting machine. Sure. Well, the federal flight deck officers have found the exact same problem. And we work a lot with them. And, you know, it's really shame. It's a shame what TSA is doing to the FFDOs. Yes. yes. They don't want them. You know that. No, uh, they haven't. They wanted it to fail from the beginning. Yeah, mm-hmm. they don't want gun toters. They uh-uh. don't want any. They don't even really want the air marshals. If they could disarm us and just have mm-hmm. us ride on the plane with a pen and paper and take yeah. notes. Oh, I think there was a bad guy terrorist over here. They would do that. If they could take our guns, they would take our guns, too. But I never figured out why. They why they wanted the FFDOs to fail, why they wanted the FAMs to why? What's well, the, what's the benefit? We've got one we've got one big issue within TSA and her name is Francine Kerner. She's our TSA chief counsel. She is a holdover from the Clinton oh, administration. <laughs> she actually leaked uh, information from Whitewater investigation to outside the investigation that actually helped that actually helped the Clintons. <laughs> so she's actually in charge of TSA right now when it comes to, you know, because the attorneys mm-hmm. are always the, the, the last word there. So she has got this very um, distinct hatred for law enforcement. She does not like the federal air marshals. She does not like our mission. She will pretend and she'll go to every, you'll see, you know, 9-11, here we come on another anniversary that's coming up soon. Sure. And you'll see every one of these TSA officials at every one of these ceremonies giving a speech and professing their dedication to this country. And then really behind the scenes, they're the absolute ones that are destroying our chance to stop at another 9-11. They're doing it and they're doing it on purpose. Um, It's unbelievable to me. Like I said, I I was around for the prototype class for the federal flight deck officers and thought, oh, geez, this is not going to go well. And they make it so difficult on the FFDOs. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think they've got several hundred right now that are in the hopper, and TSA will not even get their training going. They won't even send them out for training. And these people are volunteers. They don't even get paid extra. And then not to mention the hoops they had to jump through to carry that gun. That's the funniest. That whole history of that stuff. You go, they're pilots. They can crack. They got the control. Yeah. Yeah. What are you worried about? A gun? Yeah, really. That's 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 your least of worries. They got a fire axe that they can swing and take your head off. What are we worried about? And they're just treated with such lack of respect as well. I mean, we, you know, there's so many things I could go in and say, but with the FFDOs to step up and want to do that program. Yeah. Do that program. 
and have that extra responsibility knowing that, you know, TSA would jam you up over anything if they could. Yep. And you do it anyway because, you know, you know what happened at 9-11. Sure. Sure. And they go straight to lethal force. Yeah. Like I said, don't get me started because I could go on about that for days and days and days. But so this going outside the box on the whistleblowing. When did so that let's start? talk. Let's Okay. So internally, I did that for almost five years. Okay. Because I was thinking, hey, we're going to resolve this. I know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking of command staff wanting to get the job done. I'm thinking of true operators, people that, you know, want to stop another terrorist attack. That's what I, you know, I'm thinking on that, that level. Uh, boy, was I really wrong. Um, what I should have been thinking on is where could I go get my Armani suit on sale? <laughs> can I get a $200 haircut, uh, CrossFit gym for an hour and a half? Like, let me look at a $5,000 Italian bike. Um, you know, sure. that's the level of their thinking over on that side. Nothing to do with operations, nothing to do with going out in the field. Sure. Um, I never really saw any of our supervisors in the office leave the field office. They never went to the airport. They didn't go to FBI briefings. They, they just didn't. Maybe they, they didn't know how to get there. Yeah. They were lost. Just unengaged. That's I mean, crazy. at every level. At every, that is at every level. And so, you think every, all 20 offices, do you hear the same thing? They are the same. That is pathetic. <laughs> you might have one that's trying to make some changes, sure. like mm-hmm. a new a new supervisor, a new special agent in charge, because really the special agent in charge sets the tone for mm-hmm. the office. Sure. It's just like any chief or right. sheriff, right? Sure. Sure. They set the tone for what's acceptable or what's not acceptable. Is it going to be a teamwork atmosphere? Is it going to be adversarial with your workforce? Which is it going to be? Sure. So externally, about 2013, I started working with Congress. Mm-hmm. And then I started working with uh, Newsmax and uh, Fox News. So I've been whistleblowing on the outside at small, small intervals. Nothing like I have in the last two years. Nice. So what I learned is, you know, you, you do an article in the newspaper, you, you whistleblow about something, and you think, wow, the American public really wants to know there's no air marshals on the plane. Uh-huh. Well, if it's just a small article, not too many people read mm-hmm. that, or, it's, it, you know, you got a very limited audience. Right. Sure. So the more that you're in the news, the more media that you bring or more attention that you bring, obviously will raise the flag when, it, when you need to within some congressional offices, right? Because constituents... And I had to learn this about Congress. I've learned a lot. I mean, sure. you learn about the internal processes that don't work. You learn about the EEOC that doesn't work. You, you learn about all the processes that don't work. But then you have to bite the other apple. And when you start working with Congress, you have to realize the pressure for Congress comes from their constituents within their own state. Yep. So I'm in Florida, and I may be trying to work with a congressman in Ohio. What do they give a damn about me? I'm in Florida. Right. I don't vote for them. Right. right. But if I can get their constituents in Ohio who all fly and go to the airport, you know, and they're, you know, engaged about 9-11, if I can have that type of, you know, impact throughout the United States with constituents in every state, that's when people start sitting up and taking notice. Sure. So I had to learn that the hard way, too. It took about another four four years to figure that part out. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah, it's been a book of learning. And then... Dan Bongino discovers you, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's given me a great platform. Yes. Uh, you know, I was on his podcast and then on his show, Unfiltered. Yep. Uh, Tucker Carlson gave me a great platform. Yep. I was on Tucker Carlson, too. Uh, yeah, I guess I did see that. But Dan was first. He though. was. He, well, Tucker was actually first because okay. he picked up on the Southwest border deployment. Uh, you know, when we were taking mm-hmm. the air marshals out off the planes and sending us to the border, we were leaving our, our 
you know, flights unguarded. And for the record, that's still going on. Still going on, 200 which, month. Which makes no sense at all. What What does a <laughs> federal air marshal have to do with border security? Tom, I, we were talking about that oh this morning. God. They're not even trained in it. We don't, we don't, we don't, listen, we don't even do traffic stops. I mean, right. think about it. I mean, we'd have a little bit of defensive driving maybe. Um, we're, we're not, we're doing prisoner transport or, or, or I don't, should I say prisoner or whatever you would like to call That's the That's good the enough immigrants. on this program, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, we're taking them to the hospital, maybe a whole family, and there's three or four air marshals at the hospital waiting for them to get treatment. Then we're going to transport them back <laughs> to the facility. We're picking up food. Uh, Uber Eats. We're doing some Uber Eats stuff for the entire staff. <laughs> That's an so Lyft and Uber Eats. Mm-hmm. That is oh, an expensive yeah, Uber Eats. Yeah. Can you imagine Set. that? About eighty-five bucks an hour. Is Listen, about sign me up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, unless they had prior law enforcement with a city, county, or something, they really don't have the Zero. training to even deal with a, a combative. And think about it, we work in a linear environment. Yes. You know, and Tom, you've been. Law enforcement, you, yep. you, Joe, you, you get it. You know, you've always got to watch your crossfire. You got to. There's so yeah. many different things when you're on the street. There's so many different factors. Sure. Right. You know, on the plane, you're thinking forward or back. That's yep. about all you got to worry about. Yeah. Exactly. When you're out in the real world, There's things start happening. Yep. You know, you get three things. or four or five different suspects. You get, you know, you got to watch their movements when they're moving around you. You got to keep your counterclockwise yeah. movements. You got to stay focused and in tune. Well, in the environment here, you know, on the border, it just. And I don't mean what just weather conditions, but uh, overall everything. They they don't have a clue. And we didn't even have bulletproof vests. I mean, the Air Marshals National Council, we had to start screaming at the top of our lungs. We're like, you're sending our, our Air Marshals down to the border. They don't even, they don't even have bulletproof vests. They right. don't even have the right equipment. <laughs> Civilians have bulletproof vests yeah, on the no. border. <laughs> yeah, if you don't buy your own, you're out of luck. <laughs> wow. Jeez. And we, so, we expose that in the media. We why is this it. happening? It's, it's still, Joe, that's a great We're question. We're scratching our heads, honey, and trying to figure that one out. Yeah. Can you ask Secretary Mayorkas, Joe, can you call him right now and Give say, him a hey, call. can you tell us why we're doing this, sir? Why are we destabilizing the air marshals? This is just like, because uh, uh, this is the first I've really heard about it. <laughs> I feel like you're it just doesn't make any zone. sense. No. Right. No. So, like, is it just like to try to put the perception out there that we're securing the border, quote unquote? You know, we, we've asked that question, too. And what, what we're seeing internally is what we believe is they do not want to claim the border as a national security. They don't want to say right. it's a national emergency. Right. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to backfill all these positions without alerting the American people. Mm-hmm. We don't have control because they don't have control. Right. But how long can you rob from Peter to pay Paul before you're, Peter and Paul are both in trouble? <laughs> We're in trouble, and that's now. what we're yeah. doing. We're, right. we're taking away from we're the there. security in the air, and we're leaving this. And right. the border's still not secure because it's, it's not enough. It's of like it. the rocking horse. It's like yes. just trying to create movement with no progress. Right. Yeah. Right. It's it's smoke and mirrors. It's yeah. what the whole thing is: is smoke and mirrors. And you know, and and it is. You think about it. You know, when you get on the aircraft as an as an air marshal, we're different when mm-hmm. we get on there. It's not just flying to us. You're sitting on a you know, a weapon of mass mm-hmm. destruction that's got 12,000 gallons of fuel. Yes. You know, when you strap your seatbelt in, you're riding a bomb. <laughs> and right. a lot of crazy people on that plane, too. And you're right. So when we deploy and you look at that, everybody that gets on that aircraft, it's your responsibility. You'll see, you know, grandmothers and grandfathers and little babies and young families. And, you know, you have a responsibility to everyone that's getting on that aircraft to ensure that they land safely. Well, but every one of them could be 
a threat. They could too. be, and you size people up. I Absolutely. mean, when you're sitting there, you know what you're looking for. I know what I'm looking for. Sure. When, I, when I'm when i on an aircraft, I know exactly what I'm looking for. I think people think the federal air marshals literally are sitting on their reading magazines and books and just flying around in case somebody screams help. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, I really do. They if don't you're really understand. doing your job, you you can you can do it well. Yes, and and it's really sad that I, I sit back today and I look just like flying down here to see you you sure. guys. I mean, all these people on the aircraft, they have no idea if something was to break bad. Mm-hmm. You better hope that you get one or two patriots that are going to stand up and take yeah, care of it. That's sure, right. sure, right. You, but that's not a good plan. No. You can't plan on volunteers to save an aircraft. Nope. Not anymore. <laughs> you, you need your resources that right. were trained and paid for to yes. be there to do that. Uh, but they're too busy down the border. Making right. ham sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, God forbid something happens because as, you know, I can imagine, like, as a civilian, mm-hmm. you're going to think, like, why, why, you know, where was that security? Yes. Right? And then you're going to point the finger. But they're, mm-hmm. they weren't even on the plane. No, this yeah. is why I sit on <laughs> right. planes with a, at least a pen in my hand. I always have something in my hand Um, because, again, you can't rely on it being there because most of the time it's not going to be there. And think about it. If it's, Joel, one of your family members or somebody that you, you know, you bought the ticket to send send them on vacation and then they end up dying. You know, something happens to that plane and it crashes, you know, and then then you have to go back and dig it up and say, well, where were the air marshals? Where were our resources? Oh, they're on the border. Sorry, they'll be there next time, maybe. What? And then it's your loss. I yeah. mean, this, these are going to be our losses. These are going to be our people. Mm-hmm. Well, and the and the businesses, the airlines of all people should understand the impact of another 9-11. They barely survived that one with the bankruptcies and all that stuff. Right. Do they really think they're going to survive another one? And it's not if, it's when. Absolutely. Yep. It's not if. People right. say, oh, what? No. It's when. Yes. ISIS and al-Qaeda right now, Christopher Ray just testified in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee that ISIS and al-Qaeda are planning a large-scale attack in the United States. I'm sure. Well, and they're probably going to walk across the border to get in here to do it. <laughs> I mean, well, that's why the the federal air marshals are down there. Yeah, sure, they're going to get through where eats from them. <laughs> oh, but we can't do law. But let me oh, think. Yeah. We can't do law enforcement. We are non. We are non law enforcement personnel. We are support personnel. It yeah. specifically states that on our deployment awards, non law enforcement support personnel. Do they even have guns with them? We got guns. But they, they can't al- use them. Uh, but they're allowed to have them with they them? They can carry them on. You know, they're a nice decorator item. <laughs> decorator item. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice decoration. Wow. And a great way to get in trouble, too. That That's the whole thing. I can't imagine being a federal air marshal down there going, if I carry it, can get me in prison. If I don't carry it, could get me killed. Well, there's a good option. Yeah. Well, and think about it. You know, now they're in full uniform. We've always been undercover. Nobody knew who you were. Wait, what kind of uniform? What do they have? They've got these uh, DHS polo shirts, like dark blue with tan pants. They've got the BDUs now. Well, they finally got them clothes. I mean, no, they weren't naked down there, but they were close <laughs> to it. We finally got them some pants and shirts this, and some vests. This summer, they may wish they were so, naked when it hits 120 down there. But why? Well, let's just put neon signs on them and stamp it on their forehead. And think about it. You know, in law enforcement, you you know, we go to restaurants, we eat, we're in uniform. You're used to that. But you're talking about an undercover officer that's not worked in a uniform out in the open. you got to be careful of everything, right? Yeah. You know, yes. somebody's going right. to try to take your gun. Yes. You, all types of issues. Somebody could target you just because you've got your food. uniform right. on. They're not used. They're, they're not trained for that. They have no training whatsoever. So Tucker Carlson found out about you from... How did he know about you? I don't know, man. They, they're, oh, you don't? they're producers. I don't, they're, book, they're booking agents. She told me she found my number online. 
It so, was from our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Under the shield. My God, Joel. Thank you. Thank you for jumping in there. How come Tucker? I'm your girl. How come you hadn't what, what you don't you don't want me on there? Well, I, I'd rather what? be on Dan Bongino's because he's cuter. I mean, well, I'll go back okay, on though. there and listen, Susan, we'll definitely get you guys an invite with him because I think you would you would be a, a, a compliment in addition. Everything that you guys have done for law enforcement over the last forty years. Well, I we mean, have mutual friends, Dan and I. Maybe I shouldn't claim him, but a retired <laughs> lieutenant from NYPD is good friends because he calls him Danny. And I go, who's Danny? Bongino. <laughs> oh. But yeah, Rich Mack, uh, he's a retired lieutenant from NYPD. They worked together. So yeah, Dan and I are practically related. There you go. <laughs> They're the nice. He's the nicest guy. He's I super bet. humble, down to earth. And he means what he says. Sure. I mean, his his goal is to help spread the message. And he's going to bring us back on for his platform. And I appreciate him giving, you know, our voice. Sure you know, an a audience there because it does help the more exposure that you get. Yes. It does help with the congressional, you know, means that you need to make real change. Sure. Absolutely. And that's the goal. That's yeah. the goal is to change what's happening, right. not to just accept it and say, oh, too bad we tried. No, it's to change it for it to never happen this way again. Well, and we want to be able to break this story here coming out in October. There's going to be something Major. This is the first time it's announced, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. We've got we've got a we've got a documentary that I've been working on with Dinesh D'Souza. Uh, I will be on a That's whistleblower a smart man, a whistleblower panel with uh, recently some of my uh, colleagues. They they've become fast friends here in the last couple of months. Nice. Uh, Kyle Serafin and Steve Friend uh, and Garrett O'Malley and George Hill will all be on a panel interview uh, regarding the weaponization of government. What's what they've seen at the FBI and what I've seen at the federal air marshals. So Dan Bongino is going to be starring in it. And then, of course, President Trump will be pulling up the last part of the, the documentary talking about, you know, what he's gone through and what he's witnessed as far as the weaponization of government mm -hmm. toward toward him sure. personally and toward him as the president. And hopefully we can get some of those on our podcast before that documentary Absolutely. comes out in October. You know, one thing I have to tell you, it's been really um, uplifting is to meet other whistleblowers that have faced the same type mm -hmm. of trials and tribulations sure. internally. Yep. Uh, because you are not alone. There's a lot of a lot of whistleblowers out there. We just don't have the network, but we're building that network now. Good. And uh, Kyle Serafin and Steve Friend, they're some of the finest patriots. I can't tell you how much I appreciate their mentorship, them being here to talk to me, helping me get our message out through their uh, media contacts as well. Well, that's and, what it's going to take. Yeah. Uh, ever, all the, the, the federal government groups coming together and going, enough's enough. Yeah. When is this going to stop? Yeah. It can't just be one here and yeah. one over there every now and then. It's going to have, it's going to be a group effort. And, and we're all really strong people, right? Yes. We, we understand our mission. We're focused. We're driven and we're focused to ensure sure. that this changes. Yeah, if I've got any advice to Uncle Joe up there in D.C. in the White House, it would be you might want to listen to Sonia because I'm telling you, I don't think you're going to beat her. She ain't, she's not backing down. And, you know, our intentions are pure, though. Yes, yeah, that's, that's it's, the difference. It's not self-centered. Right. It, it's for safety a of better American of, people. That's it. Nobody wants to see somebody jumping off a tower no. like at 9-11. You know, I think about right. the man. I it, all, it still bothers me to this day. Yeah. Yep. To watch people jump to their death from yeah. the top of that tower because down. they had no choice. Yeah. yeah, that was a better option than what was behind them. And, yeah. and I'll never forget that. There's yeah. nothing that will ever take that image. It's burned in my brain mm -hmm. forever. I remember the couple holding hands, jumping yeah. together. I mean, yeah. that could have been our family. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they were our Americans. They were people that matter to us. Sure. 
But I think about how their family feels this day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you think their family feels? Can't even imagine. Right. I don't ever want anybody to go through that again. And I wonder if they even have a clue about Uh, what's happening in our government. You know, I think I'm going to reach out to some of the groups. I just didn't want to put more pressure on them. I mean, they're dealing with the loss. They're dealing with, with, you know, their loss. This is a political issue. I don't know if they would be interested or not, but it would be nice to have some help maybe from Frank Siller, Tunnel to Towers, not financially, but just to say, you know, he lost his brother on 9-11. Sure. I mean, what we're trying to do with the Air Marshal National Council is prevent another 9-11 and Mm -hmm. to prevent other people from dying. Because that was not a political issue who died. No. It it wasn't a building full of conservatives. It was uh, everything. Just some who probably didn't care about the government at all. And for um, the guy that started Tunnels to Towers, losing his brother, that was a personal death. That wasn't a political thing for him. And they need to be mad. I, I know... You know, my son always said as, as a Marine that uh, this country better be thankful that he wasn't part of Benghazi because his mother wouldn't stop till <laughs> everything was burning in D.C. and somebody was inside the White House, particular female that we all <laughs> don't care for, <laughs> uh, the name of Hillary, um, that, it, you know, because I wouldn't have stopped. There wouldn't have been a reason left not to do just that. And it's... If the families don't know that paid the greatest price, yeah. then that you know they're being scammed. And and it and it really is. It really is. Uh, when you look at that, it's really sad. Mm-hmm. It's sad that they have gone through everything that they have gone through, and this agency was stood up to prevent it again. But it's like the snake oil. It's yeah. like it's like uh, follow the yellow brick road. You've got this one little man at the end of the yellow brick road with a with a mic in his hand at the air marshal service, and there's nothing behind the screen. Sure. Sure. And there could be. I mean, right. we what, can change it. What does it take to get y'all out from under TSA to HSI? Uh, a congressional bill, and we're working with that. We've got several legislators that are going to support and sponsor the bill that we're, we're we're writing and working on that as we speak now. Nice. So we want to see this change. We want to get out of TSA. we got to get away from this administrative grasp, yeah. yep. this political-driven Francine Kerner, sure. we call her the lowest learner of TSA. <laughs> um, she is the lowest learner of TSA. She is she is driving this uh, significant decrease and destabilization of our aviation security. And until I mean, we get away from them, yeah. it's not going to change. Yeah. Putting you guys in TSA takes all your power away. I mean, it's crazy. Well, it's people supervising a law enforcement group who knows zero about uh, law enforcement. I know. I, I, you know. Well, what happened there, I can tell you back in 05, at the end of 04, uh, our Air Marshal Director, Tom Quinn at the time, um, had a little falling out with the ICE Director because Tom Quinn was like equal to the ICE Director. Even though we were under ICE, he was the Director. So uh, Tom Quinn wanted the ICE Director to take his ICE agents who were going to be crossover as Air Marshals, and he told them that every year they have to do 160 hours of training, right? And the ICE Director was like, uh, we can't, I can't spare my guys for 160 hours of training. Well, then Tom Quinn says, well, you can't be, you can't be air marshals. And if you don't come and train with us 160 hours a year, then you won't be able to cross over and surge with us. That's why they're not on planes. They're training all the time. <laughs> Can you imagine 160 hours a year? Oh so, and then the first five years from 2002 um, to 2005, that was the first three, we had augmentees that there's, they're, um, Contracts were up in 07. So all the augmentees, we, you know, we didn't have federal air marshal supervisors, so they brought all these 
mixtures in from the Secret Service and different agencies over to over to the air marshals temporarily. Tem- well, for or- five years, their con- their contract they were going to be mm-hmm. up in 07. So they'd stay. They still so were the, employed by Secret these, Service, but they were supervisors. Well, they were retired from Secret Service, but they were double dip, and they allowed them to come back. <laughs> so they allowed them. They were retired, but they and a lot of these guys were Tom Quinn's colleagues from the Secret Service. So the director of the ICE, the ICE director, was not going to renew these augmentees. Quinn wanted another five years, so he wanted to give them 10 years versus five. So the ICE director was like, we don't need those. We have our own supervisors. I'm not going to renew those uh, contracts because these are big contracts. You're sure. Gonna, these guys are making 160 a year. Sure. On top of retirement. Sure. Nine to five. You know, Damn. not even nine to five, more like 10 to three. You know, Monday, maybe. Wednesday, well, and Thursday, maybe. And you got to take the lunch hour yeah, out. But so. I'm just saying, not, not even, I say not, but more like 10 to 3. No, you know, federal Fridays, federal Mondays. Right. Um, Wednesday, so day. the ICE director was not going to renew those contracts. So he wasn't going to give him the 160 hours. And he wasn't going to renew the contracts. So uh, Quinn went to his buddy, Chertoff, and they made this backdoor deal. And Chertoff assigned this to TSA. And when he did that, it gave Quinn free reign. So he was able to renew the contracts for his buddies, and then he had complete control of everything. And Congress had to approve y'all going under TSA? The, at the time, Chertoff had the power with the stroke of a pen to transfer us. Now, you can't do that anymore. They learned their lesson by him having that power and using it. So now it's going to take a, a, a congressional bill to get us out of TSA, but we're working on it. We know that that is going to be one solution to the problems that we're facing now who in congress is opposed to that happening a lot of names a a lot of the democratic side of the house um uh benny thompson uh there's quite a few that are opposed to it Mm -hmm. they're really big in the um afge union you know they're they're really big for the union side and they they really love tsa how about Kirsten Cinema and Mark Kelly here? I don't think they're opposed. I mean, I, Neither I, one. I can't say that we've run it through their offices yet. Okay. I, as soon as the bill drops, we'll see if they'll co-sponsor. If they won't co-sponsor, then they're opposed to it. Let it's us really know. a nonpartisan issue, right? Yeah. We're talking about national security. Exactly. We're not. We're not talking about uh, who's a better leader, who's not. Yeah. We're talking about you know air travelers that you know it's not designated on your boarding pass if you're a Democrat or a Republican. Right. It just says that you're a paid customer. I just and want to expect- know why they would be opposed. So if they are, I want yeah. to know, because we'll be down there in their offices going, why? Good. Well, when we get that bill drop, we're going to find out who will sponsor and who, who will co-sponsor and who won't, and then we'll know who's opposed. When are we looking at that? Any idea? I would say probably in the next 90 days. Oh, that's It'll soon. be this year. Nice. We're, we're excited about it. Uh, we're going to push it. We, we, the federal air marshals, not me, we, the federal air marshals, know how to do this job. We know what we need to do to do this job. And TSA is not going to cut it as the agency that needs to be our parent agency. They're just not going to cut it. Well, they haven't been cutting it. No. <laughs> so Nothing new there. <laughs> exactly. 95% failure rate. If you look at their their stats yeah. in, in TSA, 95% failure yeah. rate. Which is unbelievable. That How do you keep your job when you have a failure rate like that? 95%. Got it. And you got to look at the upper echelon like Pekoski. They're over $200,000 a year. I mean, we're actually paying people to fail. Wow. Can you imagine yeah. that? <laughs> TSA has more SES as senior executive services than all branches of the military put together. Wow. And this administrative agency that's failing. I'm getting a little worried about Joel. Poor little Joel over here, his young brain. He is just like, I think I'm moving. Yeah, what like do you think, Joel? He's never looked like he's being whipped. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, 
I, I'm like, so the people that <laughs> tell me that to take off my shoes have have this power, and they're putting these people on the border to deliver Uber Eats. That's that's that, that pretty much wraps it up. Yeah, there, Joel. Yeah. So there you guys go. That uh, concludes this week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> Could have done that thirty seconds. Nobody would have understood. That doesn't make sense. That, that no. guy wants you to take off your shoes, and he's one of those guys that has a ninety-five percent. Yeah, exactly. And here's the funny part, because this is something that the FFDOs and some fans had always told me is that there is the ability to make a bomb the size of a credit card that could go under your foot in your sock. Taking your shoe off don't mean nothing. <laughs> it's it's what we call security theater. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I just I feel like that's a lot of power for. I don't want to say idiots, but you no, know, you're like, right. no, it is. Yeah. Well, it's just like the TSA. I know I've had retired law enforcement officers that are clients who have tested to be there at the belt and watch the stuff go through and they can't pass the test because they are too thorough and take too much time. And you go, what? Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Because it's theater. Uh-huh. You get, And this is the one thing I learned about TSA it's not about national security. It's about securing billions of dollars in contracts. Yes. You know, the equipment that they use in all the airports, mm -hmm. every year you hear the latest and the greatest, right? Yep. A couple of years ago, it was all puffer machines. Yeah. All these puffer machines, Yep. you know, billions and billions of dollars. So now all those are stored somewhere in a closet. <laughs> sure. And they're buying new, every year you're going to see some new technology. Yeah. So it's never about really the airports and keeping it safe is mm -mm. how can we keep our buddies in these billion dollars of contracts every year or every two years coming through and making mm -hmm. a lot of money. But make the public believe mm -hmm. that right. it's in their best interest. Security right. theater. That if you come through there, yep. you're, it's all you're good. golden now. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so as a politician, why wouldn't they want the air marshals out of TSA? Would it just be back whatever union, back their buddies? I think, what well... TSA Administrator David Pekoski has done exactly what they want him to do in the swamp. He has pointed the air marshals to this political agenda. Okay, he's going to be rewarded with loyalty from that side of the house. So they would they would fight for him for us not to leave because then TSA is going to lose, number one, major credibility with the only law enforcement component in there. Mm -hmm. And then number two, another billion dollars. And number three, they're going to you know lose their day labor ability to, to send us down to all these day labor camps at the... Operation Allies Welcome, down at the southern border. You know, they can pick and choose what duties we do, even though the intent of Congress has been violated, and we believe it's illegal what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Sure. We were notified yesterday that the uh, House Oversight Committee started an investigation into DHS because of the letters that we've been writing. Good. And the exposure over, you know, the fams being taken to the southwest border. So all these... What can I say? You talked about it earlier, Susan. When you got dirt on someone or they scratch your yeah. back, you scratch your back. So Pekoski is totally so ingrained with these folks on Capitol Hill. He has done everything that they've asked, regardless if it violates anybody's civil rights or their due process. So they're going to be loyal back to him and try to hold us underwater. <laughs> Poor Joel. It, it I don't think he's crazy. ever going to be the yeah. same. I think we have crushed his vision of this country. And I'm his just going to bus everywhere. <laughs> Train. Yeah, horse light back. rail. If light rail doesn't take me. <laughs> Horseback, you can always, you can always run a horse. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have to throw this in there. And again, this is why when you and I first met and we're talking and you're telling me not 
all we didn't know all of this, but a lot of the stuff that that's why Under the Shield wanted so desperately to partner with the FAMS and provide the mental wellness side of this thing because. Look at the level of frustration. Right. I mean, you saw your level of frustration of being stuck in an office. Mm -hmm. Now, it, this is a hundred million times worse. Their Uber Eats on the border, leaving their families TDY for 30 days at a time, all of that kind of stuff. Not to mention their hands are tied from so many angles just to do the job on a daily and, basis. And they know they're not doing a quality job. They, they don't want to do mm -hmm. this. Sure. They don't want to be following around. I mean, we're following six-year-old boys. We're <laughs> following unaccompanied minors, 17-year-old cheerleaders. You think you didn't think a, a, a team of three air marshals gets on a plane and they're following a 17-year-old girl whose parents have no idea they're following her? Well, now, wait a minute. That's what that girl looks like. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> males following, I understand. But, you know, they, but what, they but, don't feel good about that. Where they're going to no, come back right. and do an after-action report and follow the 17-year-old, no suspicious activity. They don't feel good in their no. gut. And, but what is it? Who is giving them the orders to follow these people? TSA. Francine Kerner and David Pekoski and Terrell Stevenson. Those three, the Stooges, the three Stooges are doing it. <laughs> the people that tell me to take off my shoes and throw my lotion away. We're back to that. <laughs> yeah, it's your very dangerous show with yeah. your lotion. Yeah. Absolutely. That little bottle that's five uh, ounces and not yeah. four. Absolutely. Well, and that's the other. I mean, we hadn't even gotten to that. And unfortunately, we have to wrap this one up. But, um, you know, how they have y'all following or have the fans following people that just happened to go to D.C. on January yeah. between what? January the 3rd and the 7th. Yeah. Yeah. So the FBI, uh, one of our whistleblowers contacted us on January the 11th, and he let us know, hey, um, FBI requested a manifest from everybody that flew in the National Capital Region, and our agency, TSA, uh, the incident coordination section within the FAM service, there was a SAC, John Muth. This SAC uh, got that list and gave it to the FBI, but then he took the same list and then, then ingested it into the TSA National Database which now adds people to that domestic terrorist, suspected domestic terrorist list. And he did this knowing good and well what he was doing. Yeah, he, <laughs> he did had this to on know. purpose. Sure, right? sure. He, had, he did not care because he knew the agency was it was going to be acceptable because they got to do twofold. Number one, they get to create all these fake missions, like they're doing something for Congress. Look, we're following the January folks. Congress, look at us. We need, you know, another billion dollars. Look at that six-year-old. He's a yeah. real threat. Yeah. Absolutely. Look at this Afghanistan veteran who had his legs blown off that we're following who's a paraplegic in a wheelchair. Sure. Right. He's taking the aircraft over, right? Right. For real. Sure. I mean, <laughs> this is what this is what we're this is what we're doing right now. The 84-year-old grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, to be continued. <laughs> to be continued. Uh, you know, we we just need to schedule Sonia to be on here every every few weeks and update exactly. us on what's happening. And it's crazy because the public has to understand this stuff. They have to begin to hear this. We can't shelter them and expect yeah. them to if voting is legitimate to vote the right way if they don't really know what's happening. Yeah, we can't keep these secrets. No. These can't be this can't be secret. This I mean 911 affected everybody, right? We all yep. saw it. it everything that we do should be out in the open. And so we're bringing it out in the open. And it makes you wonder who did know stuff that could have prevented even 911 mm -hmm. that sat back and did nothing. I I'm yeah. sure there were some. Yeah, that's it seems crazy. I sure hope that this bill that you guys are working yes. on gets passed. 
to get you guys out of TSA. That's our I mean, goal. Yeah, that's, yeah. That would be a great starting point for you guys. Yeah, sure. and we've always brought solutions to the table. You know, we, we right. talk about all the issues, but every issue I talk about, we've got solutions. Yeah. Sure. We've worked through it because we're in the field. It's just like being a cop. You know what you need to do to get your job done. Yeah. yeah. And, but uh, you can't field, tie their hands right. to do it. That's that's the, the point here. Yeah. Hands are being tied, but we're expecting people to do things and can't do it that way. So will you come back again? I'd love to. Awesome. <laughs> well, as we wrap things up here, we want to thank you all again for listening. And we will have Sonia back to update us on this and when the documentary is going to come out in October. And we love that we broke that story yeah. here. Yes. Put that in the in the whole thing. That's exciting. Okay. Yeah. And uh, if you are struggling with anything out there, first responders, military families, please know this is what we're here for. Again, we can't emphasize it enough. Uh, it's anonymous. We don't ask your name. We don't ask who you work for. We don't ask for any identifying information. Uh, we just want you to know we're here 24-7. If you call us on our toll-free number, what is it, Tom? Let's put you on the spot. 855-889-2348. I can't see it. All okay. I see is the table. I, wasn't make, even, just, I was looking at you the whole time. Just making sure. <laughs> um, and I'm sure it's written on my forehead somewhere. But anyway, uh, again, that's 855-889-2348. You hit extension one you are going to get a stress coach. Let it ring. Uh, it may have to roll to a couple, uh, but you'll get somebody. You're not going to get voicemail. If you get disconnected, call us back because we don't have your number. We don't even have anything that identifies you. That's our whole thing here. There's nothing we don't deal with. My cell number, if you want to call me directly, don't know why anybody would, but <laughs> apparently people think they need to every now and then. For a good ass chewing. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> or entertainment. I don't know. One of the two. Uh, it's 334-324-3570. And my phone number is 480-861-6574. And if you have questions for Sonia, send them to us. We will get those questions answered. Um, because I'm sure this has probably sparked a lot of people's brains going, what yeah. the heck? Yeah, what the hell's going on in our government? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we'll be happy to pass that information on. Uh, Joelle, you going to be okay, honey? You need some time on my couch. Man. <laughs> I'm worried about you. This was eye-opening. And you're a little young to have your eyes opened yet, but <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll, we'll work. Y'all don't worry about Joelle. He'll be fine. We'll work with him and make sure he gets back on, on track. Sonia, we're so honored to have you here. And, dear, it's it's an honor to call you a friend, and we're going to get in this fight with y'all, as we have been and will continue to be for the fans, because this is too important. Yes. And, uh, you know, any of them, I hate that they're out of Arizona for the time being, but they could be back on the border in Arizona. We'll drive down there if they need something. Thank you for that. And uh, so all of you out there, again, thank you for your sacrifices, especially the families. That's a group that's not thanked enough. And we're here for you as well. Uh, don't feel like you can call, don't can't call us if it's something you're struggling with, because it's all a lifestyle. So take care, stay safe out there. God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. We hope you'll come back next week.